You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. So my name is Gary. Am I supposed to say I'm alcoholic or something after that? <laughs> now, if I were confessing, I would say I'm a, I'm a recovering news junkie. Yeah, that. Uh, it's, uh, has it just gotten weird out there in Newsland or what? You know, how about the women's World Cup soccer team? Yes, man, are they doing great or what? Who's the star? Megan Rapinoe. What's she become famous for? Trading insults with the president. I wish she'd just be famous for being a soccer star. And I wish that Trump would, you know, like, anyway. <laughs> the Democratic debate? Debate? Like, really? The winner is the one who did the most damage to another candidate. Like, what the heck? You know, it's just bizarre. The uh, protests are back in the street of Portland yesterday. Yeah. Turned into a disturbance. Tear gas, well, pepper spray, arrests and such, right here in, in our city. And then can anybody explain President Trump and Kim Jong-un going back and forth and shaking hands and honoring each other? Like, what? I, I resign. I resign. Nobody can make sense of that. But our story, maybe even worse than that. Oh, yeah. Aren't you glad you came to church? <laughs> Genesis 33 through 35, it's a huge block of text. In the middle of a story, we pick up in the middle of it, because what we're picking up uh, here in Genesis 23 is... We've got the background of Jacob and Esau. Remember, Jacob has deceived twice. He deceived his brother and stole the birthright for a bowl of vegan soup. I mean, at least get chili con carne. <laughs> and then he deceives his daddy and steals the blessing. I mean, it's a deception and it's a betrayal of family relationship, completely self-centered, and it, of course, provokes Esau's murderous hatred. And Rebekah tells Jacob, you better get out of town because he's, he's out to kill you. And with good reason. I mean, oh my gosh. That's the backdrop, is that murderous anger in response to the incredible deception betrayal. So Genesis 33.1, Jacob has met God at Peniel, as Jay took us through last week. And he's coming off of that, he's headed back to Bethel, the house of God, to fulfill his vow. And he looks up, and there is Esau. Hear the doom notes in the background? Da -da -da. 400 men. Hoy. <laughs> so he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. And he put the female servants, their children, in front. Leah and her children next. Rachel and Joseph in the rear, he himself went on ahead. So what we see here is Jacob is leading his family. Okay, good thing. But who's right behind him? 
most exposed to the 400 soldiers? Servants. Who's next? Leah, the unloved wife, as Jeremy helped us see so well. Who's back in the most protected place? He is ordering the family by their worth. Oh my gosh. Like, really? Yeah, really. Really. And when he comes up, Jacob himself went on ahead, bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Okay, why? Is this Joseph or Jacob respecting his brother? Is this Jacob manipulating his brother? Is this Jacob flattering his brother? I mean, mixed motives. We're going to find all the way through here. Esau said, what's the meaning of all these flocks? Because Jacob had sent all these gifts ahead. What's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, Jacob says. Now, last time they met is a whole different thing. What's happening here? Jacob is bringing gifts of blessing to his brother. Maybe. Or maybe what he's doing is appeasing his brother. In fact, Genesis 32.20, he says as much. That I might appease his wrath so he doesn't kill me. Remember, Jacob has good reason to fear. Well, it's appeasement, but it's also the contemporary term is reparations. What does that mean? Well, he stole the blessing. He stole the birthright. He stole all kinds of stuff from his brother. And now he's maybe giving some of it back, maybe. Which is it? We don't know. Except that Jacob is a very, very convoluted character. And everyone bows. Now, how's Jacob going to respond? How's Jacob going to respond? When he sees the brother, and he knows he's a deceiver, he knows he's a stealer, he knows he's... I mean, you know what? How's he going to respond? Here's Jacob with his head to the ground. I could sure see Esau grab his sword and relieve him of his head. What does he do? He, what? Ran to meet? Embraces him? Threw his arms around his neck and kissed him? What do you call that? That's sheer grace. What happened in the murderous anger? Esau runs to meet Jacob. Instead of smashing him or yelling at him or insulting him, he embraces him. And of course, we think quickly of the New Testament, Luke 15, prodigal son, where the son insults his dad as bad as he can possibly be, takes off with half the estate, wastes it, and then realizes what his status is and comes home. While he's still a long ways off, his father saw him and, sound familiar? Filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, Esau-like, threw his arm around him and kissed him. Cut and paste from Esau's story. The son, like Jacob, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's coming in brokenness, as Jacob is, even though it's conflicted motives. Rembrandt's famous return of the prodigal in the Heritage Museum in St. Peter's, Russia. I've been trying to figure out how to get an invitation to go to St. Petersburg, Russia, so I can see this incredible painting. I spent a lot of time studying it. You see the people looking on, but when you look up close at the father and the son, the son is in rags, his shoes are falling off, he has nothing. He's on his knees in front of his father, and his father, you can see the expression in his face, is loving him, embracing him. And the next thing they're going to do is bring the best robe, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it, have a feast and celebrate. The son of mine, he's back. I think that comes from Esau as well. I think that was Esau's intent. In fact, what he does, he said, I have plenty of stuff. You can keep your gifts. No, please, said Jacob. If I found fire in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For now I see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you receive me favorably. Because see, if you follow justice, Esau would have done something terrible to Jacob. Instead, it's embrace, it's love, it's forgive, sheer grace, sheer grace, sheer grace. Seeing Esau's face of forgiveness is an actual picture of the face of God. Because the only way you can forgive is because you have been forgiven. That's Colossians chapter 3. You know, I'd spent a lot of time looking at other religions and philosophies as part of my job of teaching. And the only religion that does forgiveness is Christianity. The only religion or worldview that does forgiveness is Christianity. Some in Orthodox Judaism. Why? Because we have been forgiven so much through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice, so we bear with you to forgive one another. If you have grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So when you see the face of forgiveness, you see the very face of God. It's an amazing story. Esau said, let's be on our way. I'll accompany you. He's going to protect his brothers. Those 400 guys are soldiers to protect from trouble. Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender. I must care for ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they're driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go ahead of his servant. While I move along slowly the pace of the flocks and the herds before me, the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord in Seir. What's he saying here? It'd just be hard for you if you go at my pace. Just go ahead, I'll, I'll join you in a little bit. And he makes a commitment to come and join Esau at Seir. So that day, he's starting his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, however, <laughs> he didn't go to Seir. He didn't go south to Seir, the land of his fathers. He went north to Succoth where he built a place for himself and made shelter for his livestock. What's he doing here? He's still doing his deception. He is lying to his brother. Why doesn't he just say, 
I'm under a commitment to Yahweh to go to Bethel. Why didn't he just say? Well, because he's a deceiver, and deceivers cannot trust. Deceivers cannot trust. Because they're playing the world, and they expect the world is playing them. What a sadness. What a sadness. After Jacob came from Paramaram, that's Laban, that's the house where Abraham was originally, he arrived safe at the house of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. Let me show you a map here, because it helps me place things. So this is Jerusalem. They're at the top of the Dead Sea. Of course, everybody knows Jerusalem these days. And down south of that is Hebron. That's where Jacob and Esau were born. Uh, up north is Peniel. That's where Jacob met God. And then from Peniel, he's headed back to Bethel, but instead he goes to Shechem, Canaanite area. And then later he's going to go down to Bethel, Bethel, the house of God. So that's the journey coming up. So after Jacob came from Padamaram, he arrived safe to the city of Shechem, camped within sight of the city for a hundred pieces of silver. He bought for his sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, a plot of ground. He pitched his tent. He set up an altar and called it El Eloi Israel, the God of Israel is God. Good thing or bad thing? Mixed. He's under vow to go to Bethel, where he met God back earlier in the story. He didn't go there. He goes to Shechem. How weird. And he builds an altar there. Now, if you're remembering the story or got hyperlink in your head, you'll remember that's exactly what Abraham did back in Genesis chapter 12. When he came from there, he also went to Shechem, 12.6, and built an altar there to Yahweh in the land of the Canaanites. But, and Abram was faithful to Yahweh. So we're in Shechem, Canaan land, pagan land, worshiping other gods. The god of Canaan is Baal, the god of sex for power. Now, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, Leah, positive or negative? That's the unloved wife. Went out to visit the women of the land. Now, she's one daughter, 11 brothers. I'll bet she's looking for a little female company. But when she gets there, Shechem, son of Hamar, the Hevite, the ruler of that area, saw her, took her. I can't even hardly say the word. It's past, past horrible. Past horrible. Past horrible. That a king would do that? Actually, the prince, the son of the king? Past horrible. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. He loves her? He speaks tenderly to her. 
after assaulting her? And then Shechem says to Father Hamar, get me this girl as my wife. He decides to marry Dinah. This is pagan ethics. This is pagan ethics. It's not unlike what happens right here in our country all the time. Tinder hookup, a little casual sex, maybe, huh? Pagan ethics. Everything about it's wrong. When Jacob heard his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the field with the livestock. He did what? He did what? Are you kidding me? He did nothing about it? And Shechem's father came out to talk with Jacob. So he's negotiating with the king whose son has raped his daughter. He is passively refusing to protect his only daughter. This is not okay. This is seriously not okay. Again, reminds us of contemporary stuff. We've seen a lot of abuse happen in churches. Two newspapers in Texas came out here about six months ago with a long, carefully researched study of Southern Baptist Convention and found 700 women had been sexually assaulted in Southern Baptist churches. Now, when there are that many, I mean, that's not a huge number, but it's totally, completely unacceptable. At the Southern Baptist Convention that happened here about three weeks ago, J.D. Greer, the pastor in South Carolina, North Carolina, wherever he is, president of the SBC, stood up into the entire congregation and said, we cannot speak words. We cannot protect the pastors. We must speak words of action and help to the victims. It was so well done. And what I want to say to everybody sitting here, some of you in this larger crowd certainly have been hurt, assaulted, perhaps raped in churches. We want grace to be a safe place. We've got all kinds of protection policies in place, but stuff still happens, and some of you may have had it happen. Maybe some of you are an abuser. We're going to have communion and prayer teams at the end of the service. We would love to talk to you. Maybe this is in the right spot. If you need grace, grace is the place you can do it. We've done it. We've helped in the name of Jesus. You don't have to stick in your shame. You don't have to be sticking in your sin. There's forgiveness and help available, and we want to be a channel of that. We'll get you in touch with the best. Hamar said to my son Shechem, and said his heart and your daughter, please give her to him. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters. Take your daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land's open. You live in it, trade it, acquire property in it. What's he saying here? Hamar invites Israel, the king of Canaan, invites Israel to become one people with Shechem. Just lose your identity. Just be with us. It's okay, you can bring your God with us. We'll put him on the God's shelf with our gods. It'll be great. We'll have a wonderful party. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what the pagan spirituality of our country is calling us to do as Christians. Just abandon, I mean, don't, don't be so 
hung up on things, like come join the party. Naked bike ride is great, you know, enjoy. I say with a big piece of sarcasm. What's it? See-through rain gear, well, I got caught in the naked bike ride about four years ago. It ain't see-through. <laughs> Jacob's son had caught, you know, I should explain how I got caught. <laughs> I was not looking for it. I didn't even know what was happening. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I was actually at a talk with some atheists and one of the guys was rides the bus, so we were going to take him downtown in the freeway was closed, they're doing some repairs, so we had to go up 84 and come off on 33rd. Guess what? Bang! Right in the middle of the The atheist guy, whoa! This is great! What a party! And the woman who's up in front was Heidi Rise, and I was saying, oh my gosh, really? Jacob's son had come into the fields as soon as they heard what had happened. They were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. Sexual expression is for deepening intimacy between a husband and a wife. Anything outside is defiling. And they understand that. And it's worse than that because it's rape. They avenge the defilement of Dinah, unlike their father. How? Because her sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's son replied deceitfully, same word that Jacob used when he tricked his dad, Isaac, they said to him, we can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister a man who's not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We'll enter the agreement with you on one condition, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. That's Genesis 17, the mark of exclusive devotion to God that God gave as a precious symbol and a unifying thing because that's what would bring all the people together under the worship of Yahweh. The proposal seemed good to Hamar and his son Shechem. The young man who was most honored of all his father's family lost no time in doing what they said because he was so taken with Dinah, led around by his gonads, nothing new. So they get circumcised. Guys, what do you think? Would you do it for a girl? Shechem will. Shechem will. So they're following Jacob's deceitful, thieving ways. And when the men have been circumcised, then the sons go in and they kill everybody. They steal everything from the town. And they are defiling God's precious symbol of faith by using an instrument of war and destruction and deceit. That should be drawing people in to be uniquely committed to Yahweh and a sign of that in that era has now become an instrument of deceit and trickery and murder. So you take something beautiful, sexuality, circumcision, communion, and you use it in this way, you're, it's blasphemy, it's defilement, and it ruins everything. God said, Jacob, Doth Bethel, chapter 35, and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you while you're fleeing from your brother Esau. So, he calls Jacob to keep his vow. Jacob said to his household, to all who were with him, get rid of the, of the what? The foreign gods? I thought they were committed to Yahweh. What are foreign gods doing there? Remember back though in chapter 31? 
Rachel stole Laban's household gods, the idols that represent the, the gods of that era, stole them. And then when he came looking for the, the idols, she hid them from him. So she's the one who, Rachel, the favorite, is the one who stole the gods. Rachel and her family also worship other gods. Baal, the god of sex and power in that era. So Jacob says, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves. Change your clothes. Change your way of life. That's a call on us today, too. Jacob tells them to purify themselves. But look what he does. Look what he does. He says that, but then he goes on. They gave Jacob all the foreign gods, so all the idols representing the other gods, and the rings in their ears. That proves, guys, you should not have earrings. <laughs> now, it's different meaning then. Jacob buried them. Buried them? Why would you bury a bunch of idols? When you see what Hezekiah does to the stuff that's in the temple, when he does the revival later on, he takes them out and smashes them, destroys them, burns them. Why do you think Jacob buries them? So you can come back and get them later. Just in case. case. See, again, the, the conflicted man, he tells them, but then he buries their idols, not destroys them. Double-hearted, double-minded man. So in Toulouse, Bethel, land of Canaan, there he built an altar called the place El Bethel because their God revealed himself and was fleeing from his brother. God said to him, you're naked, but Jacob, we've seen all this before. So he named him Israel. God said to him, I am God Almighty. And here he is repeating, cut and paste, the blessing to Abraham. And he's giving it to Jacob. The Lord blesses Israel with Abraham's blessing through you with all of your garbage, all of your deceit, all of your murderous ways. I'm going to work through you to bring Messiah. This is a God of great faithfulness who will stick with a Jacob. Rachel began giving birth, great difficulty. Don't despair, you have another son. Verse 18, as she breathed her life, for she was dying, she named him Ben-Oni, which is son of my suffering. Very appropriate name. But his father said, no, I will not honor your name. You'll be Benjamin, son of my right hand. Remember the prince that's on the right hand of the father. Right hand is a way of saying skill and honor. And Joseph will indeed be the honored son. We'll see as the story goes on. Rachel died. She was buried there in Bethlehem, a most auspicious place later on, but then it's just Nowheresville. Israel living that rage, ruined out, and did what? Is this never going to end? Reuben goes out and sleeps with his father's concubine, Bilhah. What are... Simeon and Levi going to do to this? Nothing. Nothing. The same sons who are going to sell Joseph into slavery do nothing when Bilhah is defiled. The ones that murdered the entire city of Shechem 
Oh my gosh. Isaac lived 180 years, then he breathed his last and died, gathered his people, old and full of years. His sons Esau and Jacob buried him. The reconciliation is there. The two sons come together to bury their dead father. Reconciliation is beautiful. When I think about this, one of the things I find as I ponder this is the transition from Jacob to Israel, from deceiver to the one with, who wrestles with God, requires meeting both God at Bethel and Peniel and meeting Esau, the one that he had deceived and stole things from. To make that transition for us, maybe we've met God through Jesus, that's the God side. We've also got the people side. Because it's not just about going to heaven when you die. It's about living in the life of Jesus now. And that means to make that transition, we need to have encounters with God and with people around. Where's your Bethel? Where is your house of God? Where is the place where you sleep with your head on a stone and God meets you? So it's a question to ask, where is your Bethel? Where do you meet God? I've got a number of places, but one of the best places is at my desk downstairs in my house where I spend a lot of time praying and pondering. I've got some other special places too. Where's your Bethel? If you don't have one, it's time to get some help to set one up. Jacob, well, he limps physically because God took his tendon and his hip, but he also limps morally all the way along. Very, very conflicted but God continues to be faithful to him. Sin always impacts a community. Always. When I was in Las Vegas this week transit, on transit on one of my flights, I was in Las Vegas. Sherry told me, be careful of the one-armed bandits. I was able to avoid them. I was glad for that. But the mantra there is, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and that's an absolute lie. Sin always impacts the community. Always. A question. And we see it in the stories here. How will we respond to insult and betrayal? It's the warp and woof of our society. It's, it's just escalated incredibly over the past few years. The thing to do now is to become really good at insulting and betraying. What will you do with insult and betrayal? It's happened to all of us. How we respond? We respond like Esau? How did he respond? Forgiveness. We respond like Jacob. Buying favor. Because you can't trust. Avoidance. Deceit. It's an option. How about Simeon Levi? with their incredible vengeance. See, and that's the thing we're looking at is those three possibilities. Worship team, why don't you come on up here? We're going to sing about the goodness of God in a minute, and I want you up here to do it because it would really be bad if I led you.
Forgiveness, favor, avoidance, deceit, vengeance. We need God's help. How are we relating to their gods among us? The great god Aphrodite is doing so well, the god of erotic sex, anytime, anywhere, any circumstances. The great god Narcissus, it's all about me, is doing really, really well. The great god Mars, violence and vengeance, is doing really well in our society. How much do those other gods come into your worshipful life? Not at all, I hope. And the call of this story is pursue peace. Not true peace, not just avoidance, but true peace, reconciliation with people and with God. Now, if you're an abuse survivor, do it safely. But for all of us, Romans, 14, Romans 12, live in harmony with one another. What a good picture. Do not be proud, do not be, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not replay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Why? Because they are the pattern and the help and the power of a good God. Revelation is such a beautiful thing. I got to be a part of that on a number of occasions. I've seen it fail, but it's worth pursuing. Can you be like a Jacob where there's a broken relationship and just go to somebody and say, can we talk? I know there's a lot of water under our bridge. I know there's a lot of garbage. Can we... Can we just talk? So beautiful. Risk, oh yeah. Be safe, but that's what grace is about. Restoring broken relationships, bringing people, maybe not best buds, but at least can talk together. We've got a, I mean, looking across there, I know some of your stories. Incredible reconciliation amidst brokenness. It's a beautiful thing. It's worth pursuing. Because of what Jesus did when he pursued us. Didn't we break into a relationship with God that we offended and insulted so badly? And he gives us back forgiveness and honor and belonging. And we get to do that with others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us so much that even when we're running away, you found us with our head on a stone and appeared to us. Jesus, thank you for dying to bring us forgiveness, for rising of life to bring us life and honor, exalted the very highest place, the very right hand of God, far above all the other gods. We don't have to serve them anymore. Pour out the Holy Spirit so that we can have your renewal, your power, your unity that only comes through the Spirit. May grace be a place of reconciliation and healing and hope. It is that, but Lord, we want even more so. So we pray that you'll empower us to do this, to take this good news by action as well as word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.